Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the grow your own food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have detox and nutrition coach, Dr. Jade Davidson, to talk about the connection between food and health. Dr. J is a doctor focusing on natural functional medicine. He is also a popular speaker, number one international best-selling author, husband, father, church elder, and former radio talk show host. Dr. J was the host of the Chronic Lyme Disease Summit with 31 experts that happened in April of this year. Dr. J is admired for his ability to bridge the gap between the science, health community, and the layperson. Welcome to the show today, Dr. J. Great to be here with you, Greg. Well, thank you. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now? Yeah, absolutely. Well, maybe backtracking to when I was younger, sick all the time, uh-huh. and probably around the college, early college, started getting interested in health and thinking that uh, maybe I got sick because I was lacking, you know, a supplement or that I didn't have enough humidity in my air in the winter time. And of course, this is in Minnesota, Wisconsin, so the Midwest, the work gets rather frigid in the winter. And uh-huh. that kind of started my path on health and wellness, and then went uh, ended up going to chiropractic school school to get my doctorate of chiropractic. Nice. Uh, my wife my wife was with me in school for that too, so she's got her uh, doctorate of chiropractic as well. And we basically, you know, hit the ground running um, just on a mission to help people uh, and really focused on the natural, you know, in the natural world. But a lot of it, a lot of what's happened since has really come from my wife's journey. Uh, my wife, when she was little, basically got really, she got really sick uh, when she was seven years old, ended up actually being in a coma for six weeks. Oh my and gosh. It, in that time period, they figured out it was Lyme disease. And basically from that point forward started this, you know, just crazy journey uh, looking for answers, um, you know, basically medical, the, the standard medical world failed her, the alternative world help but wasn't you know didn't didn't fix it all and so everything that we did naturally was really to just you know keep things afloat keep things going mm-hmm. and and I would I would say she did she was doing well 
but not thriving. Yeah. And it was almost this fear, Greg, of, well, if I, if we push it too much or if we do anything, she didn't want to get worse. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that was, that was kind of our life. And then my daughter was born almost four years ago, um, July 4th of 2012. Uh-huh little firecracker baby and actually I was on my wife's 30th birthday so they're both 4th of July oh uh, my gosh how cool is that I was born yeah. on my mom's birthday oh really yeah <laughs> wow and basically when my daughter was born stuff hit the fan I mean they, it, everything crashed my wife got horribly sick she got mm. allergic to every possible food that she could consume and she literally lived off of bone broth which thankfully there was one thing that she could have that right. she didn't react to and she lived off of that for about you know this is like 17 or 21 days before she could even reintroduce any other food without reacting and you know dropped her baby weight very fast which was not obviously recommended but it was just a really tough time and that shifted gears for me from more of the structural correction world of spinal care uh-huh. to basically Basically, Lyme disease because my wife's Lyme reemerged, and then heavy metal toxicity that we had never dealt with that we just thought there was no way we could mm-hmm. um, because of some issues you ran into um, you know that obviously got brought up to the table too like you know you have high heavy metal lead and mercury that we haven't addressed obviously the Lyme from the test is in an active state you know and basically from that path forward it, it's I mean you know a, a pretty big course change for me because I feel yeah. like you know uh, there was uh, a purpose for me to, to walk this path and she's basically fully recovered doing the healthiest she's ever been and, and in turn now I work with clients that you know have similar issues that, that she had right wow that's quite a story and she's doing better now yeah she is doing phenomenal fantastic well this is this is an urban farming show and I want to and, and the reason I wanted you to come onto the show was to talk about food you know we've heard of food as medicine and I, I kind of wanted to get 20 cents worth from you on that and you know what we eat can you speak to that yeah absolutely you know in working with the clients that I work with you know I'd rather have people change their dietary food habits mm-hmm first over taking a supplement or, um, you know, something in that sense. And, you know, our American culture wants something easy. We want something (laughs) quick. So, you know, if it's not a prescription drug, if we, if we realize that those aren't really ever going to heal us, then we seem to move over to the natural world of supplements and herbal products. And I love that, but we can't just simply do that. We need, need to change the foundation of the food and nutrition we consume. And so, I mean, literally changing our lifestyle of the foods we eat, I think is such an important, important thing because if you're putting bad stuff in the body, there's no way you can get good stuff out. And, yeah. and, and oftentimes when the body's inflamed and when it's in an unhealthy state, things need to change and, and it, it all basically comes down to stop making excuses and getting some tools and, and taking action and starting to move forward and it can always seem like a behemoth when you start changing lifestyle and diet recommendations, especially uh-huh. if you have a family, a spouse, but you know, the best way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time. So right. you just start making changes and the next thing you know, you should be on a better path. Perfect. So you mentioned bone broth. Can you tell my listeners a little bit about that? 
Yeah, so there's different names for it. I mean, there's there's bone stock. Some people call it beef beef stock, bone broth. Um, you know, it's a very traditional food. But I would say until more recently, in the last especially couple of years, it's the popularity is definitely growing and growing. It was almost as if that uh, traditional food got lost lost for many years. You know, almost like an ancient healing type yeah type type food. But basically, what you would do is you would take the bones uh, or a carcass of an animal, like a chicken, for instance. Uh-huh. So what I recommend, here's an easy thing that you can do as far as recipe. You go buy an organic chicken or if you raise chickens, you know, you basically cook the chicken. You can roast it, eat the meat, save the carcass, right? Right. And, and it, the key when you're making bone broth is you have to make sure you have good quality bones. Oh, yes. Because if the animal was mistreated or if the animal was in, you know, a uh, highly restricted area that they can't even stand on their own two feet. Mm-hmm. The bone quality is obviously going to be affected, right. um, and, and that's really so. You put the bones in a pot, you get the water just just boiling, and then you simmer it for 16 to 24 hours. In there, usually people will throw in some kind of salt, like a Himalayan salt, a right. Celtic salt, a Redmond's real salt, uh, and then apple cider vinegar. And I always like the raw, you know, unfiltered, unpasteurized. And the apple cider vinegar gets added to bone broth or bone stock um, so that it can demineralize the bones. Oh, right. And, and I would say that's kind of the basic thing. Some people will literally make huge soups out of it and throw all kinds of veggies in there. Of course, mm-hmm. you can always throw some herbs and spices. Oh, yeah. Especially if you grow your own herbs. I mean, that's always the, one of the healthiest foods I think you can do is herbs and spices, you know, growing them yourself. But the bone broth basically simmers for 16 to 24 hours. And there's different methods. You know, some people like to go longer and make it super concentrated. Mm-hmm. I, w- I would literally just take a couple cow bones, um, like the circles, uh, so not huge leg bones or anything, or right. just the chicken carcass, and basically throw that in and simmer it. And if it's a, if it's a chicken chicken carcass or chicken bones you pretty much one and done and because they're so thin but right. you know beef or cow bones you can keep reusing them and it's the apple cider vinegar that you throw in that helps to continue to demineralize the bones uh. and you basically will know when you're done with the bone when you can just kind of with your fingers snap it in half as soon as it breaks then you know it's All pretty right. much it's pretty much done that's that's my kind of basis of it but bone broth is very healing to the digestive tract um, a lot of issues and, and many people suffering with small intestinal bacteria overgrowth, mm-hmm. SIBO or SIBO, S-I-B-O. Um, a lot of people just struggling with gut issues. And bone broth seems to be a very healthy healing food for that. It's one of the few things that will actually starve down small intestinal bacteria overgrowth that it won't actually feed the bacteria. So I love bone broth, oh, especially early on right. when I start working with a client to try to help heal the gut but it's got you know it's got tons of bioavailable minerals that obviously come from the bone yeah it's it's got um, some amino acids as well too so I mean there's a lot of pieces to it but when you have the bone or bones uh, and, and just think about this if you go buy a grass-fed steak and there's a bone on it just save it put it in a freezer bag and the next time you make bone broth you've got bones right and if you have the bones it is one of the cheapest best healing foods I think and and, and, and so easy yeah. uh, to make so fantastic so earlier you and this this ties into it and I think you're going to make the connection for me here uh, you mentioned you focus on Lyme disease and heavy metal toxicity and so what is the primary thing that you address with people on with these two pieces <laughs> 
Yeah, that's a great question, Greg. So Lyme, in the Lyme disease world, it's very easy to get focused on the bug. Kill the bug, kill the bug. But yeah. it, in maybe in an acute phase, that might work. But generally speaking, the people that suffer from what, what would be referred to as a chronic, chronic. Lyme disease, mm -hmm then you have to look at the body as a whole. And you, you can't just kill a bug to get somebody well. You have to figure out what are all the source or sources of somebody's health issue and address those. And the primary thing that I look at with clients is inflammation. Mm. I think, and, and I'm not talking inflammation that, oh, you just rolled your ankle and now your ankle is swollen. I mean, that is inflammation, but we're talking about a chronic cellular inflammation and the cellular inflammation I mean basically we're just made of cells and if our cells are inflamed mm -hmm. we, can't, we can't get good stuff into the cells we can't get bad stuff out and so it's that cellular inflammation that addressing that that can have just a massive positive impact for health fantastic and what causes that inflammation well there's definitely many pieces to it I I I would say the top three things and maybe the easiest things to grab onto bad fats and that's obviously a dietary food thing and right. a bad fat would be you know something that's hydrogenated so it would have a trans fat in it or a fat that's went rancid I would put the vegetable oils the corn oil the soybean oil the see soy corn canola oh, yes. uh, you know all those three I would say those are bad fats and it was years ago my wife and I were joking and it's like it, it's amazing that these people market these fats as good fats it's like we you know if we if we had the evilness to us maybe we should just come up and combine all three and we can call it cornola bean oil so we have all <laughs> all three of the oils at yeah. once It'd be the best thing ever but it was, of course can't do that because it's you know horrible things so right. I would say top three things for inflammation bad fats is one of them uh -huh. uh, sugar and not just the high fructose corn syrup, which, you know, 50% of high fructose corn syrup in, in research has shown to contain mercury, which is the second most neurotoxic oh substance on the planet. So, wow. um, but also thinking about things that actually turn to sugar in the body. And then the last thing I would put in that category is toxins. So mm. things that increase cellular inflammation, bad fats, sugars, and, and things that turn to sugar, and then toxins. Wow, so that actually kind of aligns with what I talk about a lot, and the, those are the three, for me, the three things that cause what I say is 100% of the disease in our culture, and that's lack of nutrition in our food, environmental toxins, and my third is stress, and so that's pretty along the same lines. Yeah, that, that, that sounds very eerily similar, Greg, I love it. <laughs> yeah. So connect the bone broth into the inflammation and any dietary recommendations that you have for people. Yeah, well, bone broth, in, in the one thing I will say, if somebody has gallbladder issues, and, and this kind of comes from a toxicity overload, and I see this with clients that there's a, you know, severe health issues, it's usually, they're bad, what I call drainers, meaning that the bile is all sludgy from toxins, because, to oh, yeah. so, so, kind of backing up just a little bit so the liver makes bile uh -huh. the bile is pushed through the bile ducts and it's stored in the gallbladder sac the reason that people have to get gallbladders removed is because of a uh, basically gallstones but it, it all comes from a toxicity sludge oh. so the more toxins that we have in our body that remain in the body they a lot of them love the bile and it causes it to be sludgy and that's 
that's basically like trying to push glue through a straw. So it can be oh. tough for the body. So mm -hmm. if somebody struggles with digesting fats, there's usually that gallbladder, liver, bile duct type issue. Mm -hmm. And in those cases, I would say high amounts of bone broth where you make it really thick and fatty, that might irritate you. Oh. Um, and so I think definitely, you know, I like when, when you make bone broth, and some people will love to throw tons of bones in there. I like literally, if you have just a couple cross-section circles of maybe some some cow cow bones, right? Cow right. leg bones or something. Uh -huh. I would use that literally for a whole gallon. So when oh. I make bone broth, I'm not throwing tons and tons of, of bones in there. Uh, and, and then generally what I'll do is I'll throw a couple bones in there, make the batch, right? 16, 24 hours, let it simmer, and then uh, kind of let it cool down and then basically put it in some mason jars and we throw it in the fridge. Yep. Uh, and then obviously if you don't drink it fast enough, you have to freeze it. Just be careful about freezing with glass um, as we've tried oh, yes. with the mason jars. It yeah. doesn't, doesn't work well. So uh, I always like to kind of try to consume that so you're not having to freeze it. But if you do, freeze it. Uh, and then what I do is I save those bones. So I'll put those two bones next time in the next broth. And All then right. I'll just throw maybe one new one in with it. And it's my way to kind of help from a you know cost perspective, but then it doesn't make it super fatty and gelatinous. And in some people like that, I definitely I found at least with cl with clients, especially with severe issues, that it might you know um, irritate their digestive tract just because the bile isn't flowing well. So a couple thoughts on that mm -hmm. is you could always take an enzyme that's got lipase in it. Lipase is a fat enzyme to help you digest that. So oh. that's always something maybe to think about. And then the other thing is really just focusing on trying to free that sludgy bile, try to get that moving, get it out of the body so your body can make some new bile so it's not so sludgy so that your digestion works a whole lot better. Okay. That sounds like a lot. Is this so the, the, the whole process of improving our diet, can you kind of speak to that? Do you have recommendations for clients? Because that sounds like a, a maybe a big project to do what you just proposed. As as far as myself looking at a client, I look at okay, what's what are the the source or sources of the health issue, and what parts and pieces do we have to address along the way to to fix that? So it's different for everybody, but in general, dietary recommendations. I think food is super important, uh -huh. um, but I'll also say that I don't believe that there's one perfect diet. And, and I, there might be some people listening right now that maybe are huge fans of paleo or, uh -huh. uh, you know, whatever type of diet. I, I look at the fact that, you know, I grew up in the Midwest. I, I live now in California, but I grew up in the Midwest. And part of the process there is there's definitely different foods available in uh, March than they were in, you know, August. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like, you know, seasonally there's different foods so I almost feel like maybe our diet should have some rotation to it and, and I would say generally speaking and your genetics do your genes and the expression of your genes I do I think play a role with what foods somebody should eat as well too but I think removing the top offenders in our diet are definitely important. Processed foods, I mean, anything processed, yeah. you know, if the bugs don't eat it, right? So if it's in the <laughs> grocery store, right. we shouldn't eat it. I, and I remember here, I, don't, I can't remember who told me this, but years ago I heard somebody say, eat food that spoils, but before it spoils. Um, oh, right. 
And so I think anything processed, definitely remove. I'm a huge fan of not only removing gluten, but also grains. And grains mm. do have other types of gluten, maybe not the quote unquote, you know, gluten, you know, offender that most people think of. But grains, your, your body has enzymes in your mouth amylase, saliva enzymes, and within four seconds of basically chewing on your cereal in the morning or, you know, chewing on a piece of bread or toast, it'll break that grain down into sugar within four seconds. And so kind of thinking back to inflammation, inflammation, one of the causes is sugar. So obviously an excess of sugar is going to cause a lot of inflammation. So I think- Removing removing the bad fats, like I mentioned, removing mm-hmm. the, the, the sugar and the things that turn to sugar, definitely getting gluten out. And I really believe, you know, you hear a lot of disagreement about the dairy. Some people say dairy's fine. Other people, you know, most people definitely say dairy is no-go. I think conventional cow dairy personally it should be removed mm-hmm. but if you can find if you can find a2 beta casein cows so it's a certain genetic type of cow oh, wow. um, most people most cows have uh a beta casein called A1, and those cows actually produce more milk. So the farmers basically have, you know, bred those cows by accident, not realizing it. But there's a, a certain protein called A1 beta casein. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's actually a book for, for the listeners out there that want to dive into this a little bit more. There's a book called The Devils in the Milk, and it's by, oh. it's either Keith Woodford or Woodward. Uh, it's like a black cover with a glass of milk on the front, and it, it's The Devils in the Milk. And it goes through the science on beta casein protein. And basically, they make the case that A1 beta casein protein, so we've all heard of like the casein protein, but specifically A1, uh-huh. they make the case that it's 23 times more reactive and, and has negative effects, especially on your brain, than even gluten does. And so there, it's, it's becoming a little bit more and more popular that farmers are are starting to figure out, hey, you can genetically test your cow, you can pluck a hair off the tail and see is it A1 or A2 and what the mixture is oh, and, and start to try to basically build your herd where it's all A2 cattle. But this is definitely more in the early stages. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if if I would say cow's dairy, and it's if your body does okay with it, I think if you can have a 100% grass-fed cow, if you can find raw, that would definitely be great. Mm-hmm. Make sure the cow is not injected with any chemicals, um, hormones, you know, given antibiotics, and that it also has the right genetics, which is 100% A2 beta casein. If you can find that and you seem to do well with it, then I think dairy's okay in the cow. But most conventional dairy is, you know, 99% of it has A1 beta casein in it, which means that that can definitely be detrimental to the body. So sheep and goat do not have A1 beta casein. They, they don't have any of the mutation. So sheep milk or goat's milk, I think that's why, Greg, I believe that's why most people don't react to that kind of dairy yeah. is because they don't have that mutation. Interesting. So, you know, I would say I'm a big fan of paleo in the fact of no grains, mm-hmm. but I would almost flip. It, it seems like in the paleo community, it's very high protein, moderate fat, low carb. And I would I would say more of a higher fat, uh, moderate protein and a lower carb. I like that diet, but I don't 
think that we should stay in the exact same diet forever. So yeah. whether we do some juice fasting, whether we do some bone broth fasting, intermittent fasting, block fasting, whether we maybe go into what's called nutritional ketosis or follow like a ketogenic diet. Oh yeah, I recently uh, heard about that one. Yeah, and you and you test your ketone bodies. I think yeah. I think varying it allows the body to keep its ability to adapt to its environment. And in the end, you know, us being able to adapt is only going to allow us to be healthier individuals. Yeah. And a whole bunch of what you just said really points to raising our own. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, it's always important to know where your food comes from. Oh, big time. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> food deceptions. Are there any you want to share about? Yeah, I mean the so we talked. I just talked about gluten, so that's probably yep. an easy one to jump into. Yep. I mean, just because a food says gluten free does not mean that <laughs> that it's safe. Yeah, and, and this is where I said, you know, I'd almost rather people be grain free than just gluten free because there's, you know, when you go gluten free, um, people oftentimes get ingredients that have like cornstarch and oh, arrowroot yeah. powder and these other things and. When you actually look at the glycemic index and how much that actually spikes your sugar in the body, mm -hmm. those things actually, some of them actually raise your glucose or your blood sugar levels in the body higher than gluten does. Now, gluten obviously has some damaging effects, but but obviously grains turn to sugar. So I think yeah. just looking for the label gluten-free doesn't mean it's healthy. So I definitely, I think there's some deception in that. I'm still amazed at how Americans and really people along the world are programmed for this low fat yeah. type of diet. <laughs> I mean, ever since we switched to that, it's like heart disease, diabetes, everything's went up. So right. and, and I, I think when we look at where, I really believe when we look at where we're at as a culture, mm -hmm. that if we just did the opposite of what the majority of <laughs> the culture is doing, then yeah. we'd be really, really well off. Perfect. So I, uh, I'm, I want to end this on a, a really fun note. What's your favorite food to grow? Well, so I don't have the best green thumb, uh -huh. and maybe that's just I'm that's just my self talk, and maybe not the best self talk. But I love herbs and things that are hearty. So I think parsley is a favorite mm, of mine. Yeah, uh, in in mainly too because parsley is more nutrient dense than uh. kale, and I mean. Oh. I can't tell you how many times people are like, kale's the best. It's like, well, yeah, kale's awesome, nutrient dense. Mm -hmm. But parsley, if it was considered a food and not really an herb, right, then it would be number one on the nutrient density chart. But um, so I, I definitely love parsley growing it yourself instead of the kind of yeah. dried herb. Yeah. Uh, the cool thing for me about the parsley that grows in my yard, uh, so I have a, a food forest here at the urban farm and I just let things go to seed. So every year, one of the things that we get forests of here is parsley. So it propagates pretty well too, if you let it go to seed. Love that, especially yeah. for the uh, not so green thumbers. <laughs> exactly. So would you talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you might've learned from it? Uh, yeah, I, well, I think... The word failure, I understand the question, but I uh -huh. think it's how we frame it in our head. Yeah. So I don't believe anything's really been a failure as much as a, a learning lesson. But I can think of a time, so before I went to chiropractic school, I actually did painting. Um, so I was, you know, outdoor 
did painting of houses, you uh-huh. know, and then a, then a foreman for a while. And I remember there was a summer at my last, when I was a foreman, it seemed like they gave me the craziest houses with like the 40 foot ladders, things hanging off cliffs. I mean, just like wow. all these intense things. And, mm-hmm. and I remember that feeling that I, I felt like they were, you know, not listening. I'm like, I'm okay to do some of these houses, but I want every single house to be this. And, and I just felt like they weren't listening. And I literally walked off the job probably halfway, halfway through the summer. I'm like, you know what? Can't do it. And I remember the boss, the the owner of the company said, if you can't handle this, you're not gonna be able to handle anything in life. And it was one of those things. I, I fully believe it was there for that moment to completely just make me this ultimately driven person uh-huh. kind of putting that on my shoulders. So I, it, it was an interesting time because part of me is like, yeah, I'm, I'm literally walking away from this, just giving up. But at, at the same time, I, I don't know. So it was an interesting time in my life, but it was right before chiropractic school, oh, nice. which, you know, you're taking 26 to 33 credits a, a trimester. Oh, yeah. Wow. So it's, it's, you know, it, it definitely served its purpose, but you know, it was, it was a good just a, a good moment to understand my brain thought process and, yeah. and, and how easy it is to think that people are attacking you, you know, or coming after you. Yeah. So what do you consider your biggest success? Um, if you would have asked me that question, Greg, maybe a year or two ago, uh-huh. I would have said, you know, my success in helping others, you know, having a, a thriving health business, you know, where people want to get well. But honestly, reevaluating my priorities, I would say being a husband and a dad. Because mm. I think about, you know, in 10 or 20 years is really the status of what somebody thinks of me as maybe a practitioner or a doctor going to matter or, you know, the what people from the outside would look at, you know, how successful he was in helping individuals or mm-hmm. – what what is my family going to think of me? And and I've really taken that shift and and have really, you know, uh, made some changes in my life to make sure that you know what I want to be the best dad in the world. I want to be the best husband. I, I think that so success wise, I think family for sure. That feels good. Sounds like it feels good to you too. It does. I was even part of our our recent move to California. So sold sold the chiropractic business that I owned. Because I was basically doing that plus full time, uh-huh. you know, coaching in the lime heavy metal world, and and I'm like, I'm I don't have a family, you know, because of yeah. this. So I'm like, I, I draw the sand in the line, and you know, yeah, perfect. What drives you? Oh, well, my mother was definitely and definitely still has this tendency to be a workaholic. So uh-huh. I think I picked that up from her. Ah, uh, yeah, I got that one. But I would go back to I would go back to the whole, you know, the summer when I quit my job and, and the owner at the time said, you know, you're not going to mount, you're not going to be able to make it in this world if you can't handle this. And I think honestly, I think that's still a big driver yeah. of me. Uh, but but I just have a passion for learning and for researching health things. Mm-hmm. So it's I don't know. It's not work when you love what you do. You know, I, I, I just know. Isn't that I, great. Yeah. I, so I think there's multiple things, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just, it's a passion when my wife got well, realized that, oh, how there's, that, you know, there's a purpose and, and I'm put on this earth for a reason. And I think that's a, that's probably the ultimate driver. Yeah. So I'm all about education and I have to know, is there one book that has been influential for you? I read a book in the last year called a big fat surprise. Have you read that book? Greg? I haven't, but I'm going to now. It sounds like a fun book. 
Yeah, it, it's um, the author was is Nina, and it starts with a T. I don't even try to oh, that's pronounce right. her last name because I'll just butcher it. So I'm sure you guys can find it and put links for everybody at your podcast. But yeah. it's called a big fat surprise, and I thought the author did such an excellent job going through where our food habits have come from, where the Mediterranean diet was created, um, and, and just the whole low-fat, you know, fat-free type uh, type thing. I just, I love the book because it explained the why behind where I was as a clinician and explained where America was at and why, and why it, it confirmed, you know, what I was basically looking at. I, I love the book. A big fat surprise. Definitely check that out. All right. Fantastic. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? If there's something that you've been thinking about or saying, hey, I really, I need to do this. Mm-hmm. And I'll just, I'll give you an example. So literally Please. this week, so we're doing this, it was Monday. So literally just a few days ago, uh-huh. I was standing at my kitchen Monday morning early doing dishes and all of a sudden I felt something wet on my foot and there was it was the rug and I'm like what you know did my daughter was she playing around the sink early in the morning and you know got water all over Uh sink was leaking underneath and I had been thinking so we literally just moved in this house uh, about a month and a half ago now Uh and I'd been thinking I really should get some water alarm so if there's ever a water leak under a sink then it would alert me (laughs) And boom, that happened. And it was like, okay, this is the sign. The next time I have a thought like this, take action. Mm. Um, and the only, I'd, I'd say I'm going to squeeze in a second piece of advice. Please. Uh, understand your story. We all have stories or what we believe, you know, what we believe is true. So for instance, I can, I, my story, right, is I don't have a green thumb. So if I keep saying that, I'm, I'm telling myself that I don't have a green thumb. And you, mm-hmm. you have to be careful with what you say. And in the health world, there's many times where I've heard somebody say, I've tried everything. And that's inevitably somebody's story. Because if you've tried everything, then you'd have success. Then you would lose weight. You would be healthy. You would have a good relationship. So so I, I think just recognizing whatever our story is. So that we can, as Tony uh, Tony Robbins, the famous you know self motivating yeah. guru, right. he says basically you know divorce your story of limitation and marry your story of unlimited power and you know abundance and success. So I think recognize your story and and start to make changes. And and your first one was listen to your intuition. That's really what it was, wasn't it? That voice that says yeah. you know you really should. Yeah, take action and when when you keep thinking about, oh, I really should do this, stop shooting all over yourself. And yeah. I didn't say should. Uh, <laughs> and, and just take action. Just do it. Yeah. Um, get it done. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us today, Dr. J. It's been a treat chatting with you. Hey, it's been a pleasure, Greg. Thanks for having me. You bet. So how can our listeners get a hold of you, especially those of them that maybe have heavy metal problems or... Uh, Lyme disease. Uh, the best best contact area that you can get me is my website, and it's my name, so it's drjdavidson.com. Doctor is dr, j is j a y, and then Davidson's just like Harley Davidson. Unfortunately, no relationship. So, <laughs> drjdavidson.com. I've got a link to my book that I wrote um, that I really think is a great tool. There's 
you know, links to the chronic Lyme disease summit that just happened recently uh, and just tons of, you know, information on that website. Cool. And you mentioned it and I forgot to ask. So let's talk about it. What's your book? Uh, The book is called Five Steps to Restoring Health Protocol. And it's really geared for putting the pieces together. So in my clinical experience, I found that there's many people have done many good things but if it's not in the right order, mm-hmm. then it doesn't come to fruition. Oh, um, yeah. And so the book is really about how to try to put your case together in, in a proper order. So the five steps, the first step is detect, which is all about testing, examination, understanding what's wrong. Because obviously if we, don't have a, if we don't have an understanding of what's wrong, we can't really form a game plan. Mm-hmm. Step, step two is about the draining pathways, uh, just getting the liver, colon, kidney, lymphatic system moving, basically making sure there's not like sewage backups in your, in your body. Because right. if you try to detox or kill Lyme, you're only going to get symptoms when, when the pipes aren't really moving well. Right. So the the second step is drain. The third step is uh, eliminating pathogens. um, And that would be kind of where the Lyme and co-infections and other pathogens fit in. The fourth step is rebuilding the tissues, whether somebody has uh, gut issues, autoimmune thyroid, you know, the list, brain issues, the list goes on. And then the last step is detox. And that's what I found. I wrote this book really as a little selfishly just to brain dump all the information I've compiled to put into one source so I can find things easier. Uh-huh. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah. Very good. And so there's probably 400 and some references and sources from the book. Um, so it's pretty, it's pretty intense, like 50 pages of references in the back. But oh, wow. um, I also wanted to explain the importance of detoxification comes at the end of this whole process, not on the front end. Because if you're if the body is not ready to detox, that's when symptoms occur. That's when problems oh, come about. Right. Right. Perfect. So I'm just going to read the title. It's a big old long one, but I want to read this because I think it's this is a good thing for people to look into personally. It's five steps to restoring health protocol, helping those who haven't been helped with Lyme disease, thyroid problems, adrenal fatigue, heavy metal detox, digestive issues, and more by Dr. J. Davidson. So thank you very much for sharing that at the at the end of today's show. I appreciate it. Absolutely, Greg. So that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring 
that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.